Hi, my name's Grant Fishbook, and I am honored to be the lead teaching pastor here at Christ the King Church in Bellingham, Washington. Thank you so much for choosing to access this online content today. We really hope you'll enjoy this message. One of our values here at Christ the King is biblical face-to-face -face community. And so while we are so excited that you joined us today online, I really want to encourage you. Make sure that this is never a placement for face-to-face -face biblical community. Your story matters, you matter, and we want to see you get connected in a local church. Now, if you're here in our area, we would love to have you join us at any one of our five campuses. But if you find yourself outside of the Bellingham area, we really want you to get connected into a local church. So we hope and pray that that happens for you very, very soon. In our prayer time this morning as we started our service, we had an opportunity to practice what we have been preaching. We stopped. We looked back, we looked up, and now we're going to have an opportunity to hear God speak to us as he says, come to me. As part of that time, I ask you just to look back over the last 24 hours because a lot could have happened in your life in 24 hours. When I was away on sabbatical, I heard about a situation that happened on the other side of the world in Nairobi, Kenya. Just outside of Nairobi is a slum called Kibera. It's one of the most heartbreaking places on the face of the planet. And in that particular area, Christ the King supports two schools called Our Savior King's Academy. 600 kids bring light, the light of Jesus into that unbelievably dark place. And, and, and you have an opportunity every week to help them. You feed them every day. You clothe them. And then you pay for their education, which is something that we love to do because it gives them an opportunity to break the cycle of poverty that they have been stuck in. And as someone who has been there and has hugged most of those kids, they would want me to say thank you. But while I was gone, I heard a very distressing story. When Laurel and I were there in February with the Johnsons and the Gustafsons on our around the world trip, we were in Kenya and Thomas told us that there were rumors in the community that the government was going to punch a road right through the center of Kibera. Kibera's not supposed to be there. 
So if they want to punch a road through, they don't need anybody's permission. They just mark your house with a red X and you've got 24 hours to get out of the way. But they were just rumors and we hoped and prayed that nothing was going to happen. But about a month ago, red X's started showing up on houses and businesses and schools. And with 24 hours notice, bulldozers pushed right through the center of Kibera and took out a portion of our school along with it. I'm going to show you a picture here so that you can see. This is Thomas and Beatrice. And uh, that's the devastation that was left behind as these bulldozers just pushed right through the section. The young lady on your left is actually a young lady who attends our Savior King's Academy. She had a house there 24 hours before, but now it was gone. And you can imagine how you would respond if suddenly your neighborhood was subjected to that kind of change. If you had 24 hours to gather your stuff and get out of the way. The school lost four classrooms, all of their bathroom facilities, and their food preparation area. In literal terms, 600 kids had their worlds turned upside down in less than 24 hours. Well, this past Monday, I got an opportunity to Skype with Pastor Thomas. I wanted to encourage him. I wanted to lift his heart. I wanted him to see, we're going to stand with you. We're going to rebuild. We'll do whatever we have to. And I should have known, because I know Thomas, I should have known that the conversation was not going to go the way that I planned it. Because he smiled, his brilliant smile, while we were talking on Skype. And this is what he said. Now remember, the school was devastated. They took off about a third of it. And yet this was his response. He said, Pastor Grant, it was hard. But if God is for us, no one and nothing can stop us, and who would dare stand against us? He said, God is showing us good things in this challenge. We cannot expand outward, so God told us to look up. Does that sound familiar to anybody who was in church last week? Look up. He goes, we're adding a new floor to the second or third floor to the second floor of the school. The children are all returning to school on Monday. And Grant, the view is better than it's ever been because many of the houses that were in front of us are now gone. (laughs) And because of this new road, the next time you come to visit us, we may even have a parking lot where you can put your van. God is so unbelievably good. How's that for perspective? Isn't that incredible? (laughs) Just so you know, because of the generosity, we're going to help them rebuild. It's already happening. Out of the darkness came an opportunity for Jesus to shine. I am so thankful for the example of my brother Thomas and my sister Beatrice for their amazing picture of faith. They struggled. 24 hours, their world got turned upside down. The Bible says Jesus knows exactly how that feels. I'm going to describe for you in some detail a 24-hour period in the life of Jesus. He's coming off a deep moment of pain. He just went home to his hometown and he suffers what is known as the rejection of Nazareth. He goes home to preach and to heal in his hometown, but but people reject him. They start asking questions. Isn't this just Mary and Joseph's kid? Isn't this the carpenter's son? Why in the world is he telling us that he's God? This doesn't make any sense. So Jesus leaves. The residue of rejection still hanging on his heart, and in the morning, more bad news comes. He finds out that his best friend John has been murdered by a political tyrant. Some of you have lost a best friend. You know exactly how that feels. The pain of grief pours over Jesus, so he does what Jesus often did. He withdraws to a solitary place. He tries to be alone, but as often happens, you withdraw to a solitary place, and work follows you. 
The disciples have been out teaching and preaching and healing. They've been doing the ministry of Jesus. And now they all show up in this moment when Jesus is brokenhearted at the loss of his friend. And they come back and they've got ministry reports to give. They need to tell Jesus exactly what was going on. And so with a broken heart, Jesus has to handle some office work, the ministry reports. Still heavy from the loss of his friend, and after hearing all of this good work, he still tries to get alone. This is how I know Jesus was an introvert. And being an introvert, it makes me appreciate him even more. Because he needs to get away from people to recharge and reconnect with God. Jesus is showing us a beautiful example here, how to stop, how to look up, how to come to his father when he's in a weak moment tries to get away and do his own thing. Here's the problem. People hear that Jesus is in the area. And so this crowd begins to build and gathers. And Jesus is pursued by a crowd. He has compassion on them because he is Jesus. He teaches them. He heals the sick. And then he ends up doing the fantastic miracle where he breaks a small loaf of bread and a small amount of fish. And he feeds 5,000 men plus women and children. We have no idea how many people were actually there that day. Some of you are thinking, okay, my my week doesn't sound so bad considering what Jesus went through in 24 hours, and it's not over yet because we're going to see a moment now when God says He has a conversation with a group of people who may feel a lot like you do, just a little overwhelmed. It says this in Matthew chapter 14, if you got your outline, if you got your Bible, or if you've got your app. Matthew 14, the Bible says this, immediately... Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. We need to stop here just for a second so we don't miss it. Some of you don't like the sound of the story already because the Bible says Jesus sent his disciples out. And you're thinking to yourself, well, if Jesus is God and God knows everything and Jesus sends his disciples out onto the lake, he knows that there's a storm coming. Why in the world would Jesus do that? That just doesn't seem very nice. The story doesn't start in a way that that sits well with some people. People who say, God will never give you more than you can handle, they struggle with this passage. For the record... Just so you know, the statement, God will never give you more than you can handle, is in the context of temptation, not in the context of challenges or obstacles. So I can tell you from my own personal life experience, God will often give us more than we can handle in our own strength, so we have the wisdom to look up and tap into His strength. Somebody say amen. Amen. So important. Jesus isn't sending his disciples out to fend for themselves. He's not abandoning them them in the center of the lake. Jesus is now about to show up in the most amazing way, right in the middle of the storm. The Bible says this, shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them. You should underline that. Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. I love this. Jesus went out to them, which means this. The purpose of the storm was not to scare them to death. It was to give them an opportunity to see Jesus walk on water. Church, I got a question for you. Could it be that whatever it is you're going through is God actually giving you an opportunity to see him walk out on water and come to you right in the center of it? Just something to consider. 
The disciples are freaked out, and then God speaks. Here it comes. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. That's a statement of hope right there. Guys, take courage in the fact that you're not alone. Take courage in the fact that the winds and waves still obey the name of Jesus. Take courage in the fact that when the wind is against you, Jesus is coming out to you. Take courage in the fact that Jesus knows exactly how it feels to have a bad day. Take courage in the fact that you serve a God that can still walk on water. Take courage in the fact that your worst moment is actually just a prerequisite to the miracle that God may have for you. Take courage. It's a statement of hope in a hopeless situation. I've been out on that lake. I've been on the Sea of Galilee. Those of you who traveled with us to Israel, you remember the morning this past year, right? We go out on the lake. It's a beautiful, calm day. Everything is wonderful and good. And then it started to rain, Israel people, do you remember that? We didn't even encounter the wind. It was just the rain. The heavens opened. It was a torrential downpour. You couldn't even see the shore from where we were. And I needed to hear these words in that moment. Take courage. Some of you, that's all you needed to hear today. You needed to hear Jesus say to you, take courage. He's not done talking yet. This is what he says next. It is I. That's a statement of revelation. There's another way to translate this. Jesus said, I am. Not I was, not I will be. I am right now. All through Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament, God introduces Himself before Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob was. I am. Yahweh has showed up in the center of this story. And by simply saying, I am. Only God can say that, by the way. Not I was, not I will be, but I am everything in this particular moment. Jesus is revealing his omnipotence, his omniscience, his omnipresence. He's saying, this is what you need to know in the middle of this particular situation. I'm all powerful, I'm everywhere, and I know everything that's going down. He says, take courage, I'm here. And then God continues to speak. He says, don't be afraid. That's a statement of comfort. Do you know why it's comfort? Because when I am shows up, it also means this. It means the Prince of Peace is here. It means the Wonderful Counselor is here. It means the Mighty God is here. It means the Everlasting Father is here. It means God is here. And as my brother Thomas so prolifically said on Monday morning, if God is here, if God is for us, who or what could possibly be set up against us? That's what we needed to hear today. Take courage. It's I. Don't be afraid. We all needed to hear this today. You know why? Because we're all in the same boat, no pun intended, okay? Come on, 1115, keep up, keep up. 930 thought that was hilarious, all right? So the story continues on. Here it comes. I love Peter. Peter's all words and attitude. I understand. Peter gets in trouble with his mouth all the time, and all he's just caught up in the moment, right? Crazy storm. Here comes Jesus, and this is what happens next. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied... Tell me to come to you on the water. Okay, small insight into the obvious, just in case you missed it. People can't walk on water. You can try. Be my guest. I'll buy a ticket. I'll meet you at Lake Pad and let's see how that works for you. Just saying, okay. People can't walk on water. I wonder if there was a little piece of remorse as soon as Peter said, Jesus, just tell me to come to you on the water. I wonder if there was a little part of him that said, I really hope he says no. <laughs> I really hope he says, Peter, let, let's, let, let's do this. I'm God. Let me do the water walking. You just stay in the boat with all the other humans, like over there. You just be all right over there, right? 
I mean, there's just something in this moment where I just wonder if he wished he could retract his request. I, I wonder sometimes if, if when we sing the song Oceans here, I wonder if we, if we really understand what it is that we're singing. We sing the songs here. These are the lyrics. Spirit, lead me where my trust is without borders. Let me walk upon the water wherever you will call me. Boy, we sing it, we sing it, don't we? I mean, we just sing it with all this passion, but I'm kind of wondering how many of us in this moment kind of have a Peter type of a mindset where it's just like, Jesus, I'll go wherever you call me as long as I don't have to leave Bellingham. (laughs) Jesus, I'll go wherever you call me, even if it means walking on water, but here's the deal. Wherever it is that we decide to go, it better have really good coffee because that's just how I roll. And by the way, Jesus, just so you're completely clued in with how my schedule and agenda works, I don't stay in anything less than a three-star ever, just so you know. (laughs) I got a question. I wonder what kind of church we would become if we could actually sing, believe, and live this prayer. Spirit, lead me where my trust is without borders. Let me walk upon the water wherever you will call me. I love Peter. I love Peter because at least he had the courage to listen to the next word. Remember what Jesus has said so far? Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. And then he says this to Peter. Come. Come here. Come here. And because he is the great I am, he's also saying this. Come to the light of the world. Come to the bread of life. Come to the good shepherd. Come to the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. You come to me. And we all know this to be true. If you're going to come to Jesus, you're going to have to let go of something. For me, being somewhat skeptical, I had to let go of my belief in the scientific empirical method. Not that I don't believe. I think science and faith actually work really, really good together. But some of us have to let, we have to let go of the fact that that God often defies the gravitational laws, if you want to put it that way. Some of us have to abandon this fallacy that we've fallen into that a man's life actually does consist in the abundance of his possessions. We need to let that go because Jesus actually says that's not your life. Some of us need to let go of the fallacy that that God's going to let everybody into heaven because after all, God must grade on a curve and it's all good. Some of us need to let go of the belief that God's commands are merely suggestions and I get to interpret the Word of God any way that I see fit. Some of us need to let go of the belief that if you release your security and totally trust God, this is what's going to happen. God's going to let you drown. Some of us need to let go of whatever it is that's holding us back so that we can have a moment to join God out in that miraculous moment. We'll come back to that right in in just a few minutes. But here's what I'm asking you to consider. If Jesus showed up in your life this morning and said, come to me, would you have the courage and the faith to come to him in repentance, to come with courage, to come with hope? We'll get back to that in a second. The Bible continues, then Peter got down out of the boat walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. That's good, right? But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? That's a question that all of us have to answer. Why do you doubt? 
Now I want you to be careful. Do you remember the first week of the series? We went to Magdala and this woman crawled on her hands and knees with an issue of blood and defiled a rabbi on purpose and everyone would have picked up a rock to try and stone her but then Jesus adopted her into his family. If you missed it, you might want to go back. What we learned in that moment is that when people with issues come to Jesus, Jesus doesn't have the posture that we think he does. He doesn't stand with his arms folded like a disapproving parent. He's not a legalistic person who pushes back. It's like, come on, Peter, get your act together. You should have been able to walk all that way on the water. In fact, the original language here is incredibly prolific because it contains what I would call clues towards the emotion that's coming here. Here's what I can tell you for sure. Jesus is not frustrated with Peter. In fact, think about it. At least Peter had the courage to get out of the boat better than the 11 other cowards that are still hiding back there in that wooden structure. Peter actually got out of the boat. And Jesus just asked a simple question, a question that we all struggle with every day. Why did you struggle with faith? You were doing so good. Now, this is going to bug some of the people in the room. Before we shake our head at Peter and go, how in the world could you doubt? You were doing so good. I want you to know something. We struggle with faith like this every single time we worry about anything. Let's take a quick little rabbit trail on worry. Can't speak for Peter. You know when worry would have hit me? Worry would have hit me when my feet were on the water and it felt solid, but I had to let go of the side of the boat. That's when I would have started experiencing unbelievable worry because there's something in my head that I actually know. People can't walk on water. That's when worry would have hit me. I would have been truly concerned in that moment, and each one of us struggles with this. Worry is a common human struggle. We call it by different names. We call it stress. We call it anxiety. Some of us, who are even a little bit more twisted, we call it caring no, but God, I really, really care about this. Like, this is really, really important to me, so that's why I'm going to take something I have no control over, I'm going to put it down deep in my soul, I'm going to let it twist around a little bit until it creates a nice big ulcer. That's why, God, no, 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 it's not worry, I'm caring about it a lot. (laughs) We can call it whatever we want to, here's what it is. Worry is when we borrow tomorrow's problems before they even exist, we factor God out of the equation, and we fuss over elements of our life where we have absolutely no control, and it's killing us. Charles Mayo, the the co-founder of the Mayo Clinic, he made this observation. He said, worry will negatively and adversely affect every circulatory system, your heart system, the glands, and your entire nervous system. You can actually worry yourself to death. So to the worriers in the room, let me give you some good Bible. The Bible says worry is absolutely futile. Listen to Jesus talking. He's going to ask you a question. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to their life? That's good Bible. Because it means this. Worrying accomplishes nothing but ulcers. Think about it. Followers of Jesus, worrying is an insult to the God who said, don't worry, trust me. Worrying is saying, God can't possibly handle this situation. It's beyond his control. So I better get in control of this whole situation. I'm going to say something even more bold. It's going to get me in trouble, but that's okay because it's true. Worry is momentary practical atheism. 
I heard one person say, preach. Okay. <laughs> Momentary practical atheism. Think about it. It's the belief that God can't take care of your situation, so you better take care of it yourself. It's taking God out of the equation. It's a denial that God is in control of everything. And that's a struggle for every single one of us. So those of us who have fallen victim to practical momentary atheism, this is what I have to say to you this morning. Take courage. He's here. Don't be afraid. Come to Him. That's what Scripture is screaming at us. If you want to take that rabbit hole a little bit further, you can read Matthew chapter 6. Let's explain worry a little bit more. Worry is locked in the world of what if. Faith lives in the world of who is. Let me tell you what worry sounds like. Worry sounds like this. Did you guys know that we live on a geological fault line? Like, did you guys know that? Did you know that there were 70 earthquakes around the Ring of Fire, and we are actually part of the Ring of Fire where we live right here in, in Bellingham, Washington, which means this. At some point, the big one is coming. There's going to be a really, really big earthquake, and it's going to be really, really bad. And I don't even know if I have earthquake insurance, so it's really kind of freaking me out. And, and even if I can't control the earthquake, here's what's even worse. If it happens down in California, what's going to happen is this. A tsunami is going to carry all of the sharks from California, and they're going to wash into a bowl, which we live inside of here at Bellingham. And we're going to have our own little shark right here in Bellingham, and that's going to be really, really bad. And I don't like sharks because sharks can scare me, but I don't know what to do about sharks. So what I'm going to do instead is sit here and worry myself into complete frazzle because this one thing I know, I'd rather die than live through the earthquake. <laughs> do you know what's crazy about that? I actually hear those conversations in coffee shops. <laughs> what if something bad happens tomorrow? What if the illness my kid has is actually a whole lot more serious than I think it is? What if my name's on a layoff list tomorrow morning when I get to work? What if, what if, what if? What's Peter asking? What if I drown in this lake? What if Jesus isn't going to save me? When Peter got over the side of the boat, here's what I know. He wasn't living in the world of what if. He was living in the world of who is. But this sign, who is that out there? That's Jesus. That's the King of Kings. That's the water walking God that I love and that I serve. I'm going to I'm going to stick with who is because who is got me at least 6 feet over the side of the boat. I'm not going to worry about what if. I'm actually just going to focus in on who is to the worriers in the room. Drop the what if, replace it with who is because we know something together as a church. Who is greater than cancer? Jesus. Who's in charge of your daily bread? Jesus. Who could walk you through a layoff even if it does happen? Jesus. That's why we sang his name this morning. Let's keep going. Worry is not godly concern. There's a difference between godly concern and worry. Even though the Greek word for worry and concern are the same, they actually have two completely different interpretations. Fascinating. All of us should have godly concern for the people that we love. But here's the key. Worry will always lead you to panic. Godly concern will always lead you to prayer. So if you're not praying, you're worrying. That's the bottom line. Philippians chapter 4 says this, don't be anxious about anything. Let me translate the Greek word for you. It means anything. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving. You should have heard Thomas talk on the Skype call. 
We're just so grateful more of the school wasn't destroyed. We're so grateful all of the kids are in one piece. We're so grateful for the love and support of our home church back in Bellingham. We are so, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. If you're worrying, there's no peace. If you're praying, there's the potential for great peace. Why? Because the Prince of Peace is there. Responsible concern is not worry if you keep God in the center of the situation. That's why the Bible says this, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be given to you as well. It's fascinating. Do you know what context that verse is given in? All these things comes out of a list about things that we're not supposed to worry about. Food, clothes, daily shelter, all that stuff. We're not supposed to worry about that because God says, if I can take care of the birds and those needs, don't you think I'm going to take care of you? Peter just gets distracted for a second. Let's not judge him. Let's understand him. He gets worried about real variables in his situation, wind and waves. And for just a moment, he pushes the presence of God out of his mind and worry floods in and it flushes his faith. But Jesus saves him anyway. Not going to let you drown. And in doing so, he teaches us a great truth. Let's wrap up with this. The greatest weapon against worry is worship. The greatest weapon against worry is worship. Look at verse 32. And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshiped him, saying, truly, you are the son of God. What did Jesus say? Take courage. I'm here. Don't be afraid. Come to me. Peter responded to that. And even though he only made it a certain distance outside of the boat, he got to do something that, to my knowledge, no other human being has ever been able to accomplish with the help of God. Some of you today need to respond to the last piece. Come to me. Maybe you've been here for a few weeks. Maybe you've been here for a few months. Maybe today is your very first time and you had no idea that the King of Kings was going to interrupt your Sunday morning. But I can tell you, coming to Jesus is the most important decision you will ever make. Leaving behind whatever you need to leave behind in order to live in faith and to trust that he is exactly who he said he was is the most important decision that you can make. And I can't preach this text and not give you an opportunity to respond. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray. In a moment, we're going to bow our head, close our eyes. People, why do you Christians do that? Let me just tell you why. It's so we can focus. And we bow our head in reverence and humility because we understand something. He's the creator and we're the created. So we're trying to know our role. And we're going to come to him and his posture is not a disapproving father. He's not scolding anybody today for a lack of faith. He's just saying, take courage. It's me. Don't be afraid. Come to me. So I'm going to invite everybody into that moment. Would you bow your head and close your eyes today and have no idea what your last 24 hours was like or your last 24 years was like? But today I want to give you an opportunity to respond to Jesus by taking him up on his invitation to come to him.
So wherever you are in your life right now, I'd invite you, if you'd like to begin a relationship with Jesus, I'm going to invite you to pray this prayer with me in your heart right now. Jesus, I don't fully understand what it means to come to you. But in an act of faith right now, I'm going to step out in courage because I believe in who is. I believe that Jesus was the Son of God and God the Son. I believe you came and gave your life on a cross to forgive my sin. So I come to you right now with all of my failure and all of my past. I ask for your forgiveness and I pray that you would save me. God, I want to live my life for you from this day forward. So God, give me the courage to let go of the past, to live in this moment, and to trust you with my future. I ask you, Jesus, to be King and Lord of my life. I surrender all. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I would never do anything to embarrass you, but if you prayed that prayer this morning, we believe that you accepted an invitation to come to Jesus and now he's here. And he does forgive you. And he will walk with you for the rest of your life, no matter what storm you may encounter. Nobody's looking around, but if you prayed that prayer, I'd like to pray for you this week. If you prayed that prayer with me, would you just slip your hand up in the air right now? Nobody get embarrassed. Just slip it straight up. God bless you and you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you and you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you over here on this side. God bless you in the back. God bless you, young man. Jesus, thank you that you still save today. And God, thank you for saying, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Come to me. And I thank you for those who've come to you today. I pray that they would know this is just the beginning of an amazing journey with you. We're going to turn the corner for just a second. Nobody's looking around, but I'd like to talk to the Jesus followers for a second. How are you doing with worry, church? Are you twisted up inside because there's things outside of your control? Do you need to trust just a little bit more today? Maybe you need to confess before God, Jesus, I'm struggling with worry. Thank you for saying, take courage. It is I, don't be afraid, come to me. So let's have a moment of confession. If you're a follower of Jesus and you're struggling with worry today, would you just slip your hand up in the air? Yeah, all over the room. Father God, would you help us? Would you help us to be people of faith who trust you? May we not get pulled into the panic. May we instead respond in prayer. And may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard the hearts of my brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. Lord, thank you for this morning. May our hearts be fully yours. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
Thanks again for watching. We're so glad that you joined us today. Once again, we hope you'll get involved in biblical face-to-face community wherever you happen to be today. If you'd like more information about Christ the King Community Church, if you'd like to give online, or if you'd like to submit a prayer request, or even get connected in a small group, you can find out more about us at ctk.church.